Welcome, my beautiful beans, to episode 97. I can't believe we're already up to 97. Um, so today's episode is going to be all about fears and overcoming fears. Now, I am going to very, very, very lightly touch on the difference between actual phobias, PTSD, all of that. That's very different to what I am talking about today. The advice that I give someone today is obviously not going to work for somebody that has actual trauma or PTSD or a phobia. Those things need to be um, discussed with obviously a clinician who's working with you one-on-one, some sort of a therapy Um, session, a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist who can actually coach you through that. Um, Yeah, anyway, I don't need to go further into that. So what I am going to be talking about is fears that kind of kind of get in the way of you enjoying your life. Like I'm scared to take action or I'm really scared to kind of um, go on a date or meet people. There's a whole there's a whole bunch of them which I am going to go through. Um, that is what I really want to be talking about because you're going to notice that some things are actually quite easy to rewrite just by changing your perspective and some things you might not even have to rewrite it. You might just have to kind of guide your thoughts in a different way so you can still be scared of it but understand what that fear is, what the fear of it is. Once you have more understanding, once you shed a little bit more light on the topic – then it's easier to kind of, you know, understand where it's coming from and still take action or decide maybe I'm fearful of this because I actually don't want to take action, okay? So there's a few different things that are going on there when it comes to um, being scared and when fear is kind of cock-blocking you from doing things in your life. Um, Just a quick weekly update. I actually have gone ahead and bought my flights for Europe and literally the day after I buy these flights, they're talking about this new fucking variant that's fucking whatever. Anyway, so I actually don't know what I'm going to do with myself if I have to cancel that fucking trip to Europe because I want to do what I have booked. The plan is to go to Switzerland for about a week, um, see my sister, see her compete in bobsled, do all of that. It'll be amazing. And then after that, go to Paris and see my girlfriends in Paris and then come home. So hopefully that happens. But also I feel like all of us around the world are kind of in the same boat that we're just, unfortunately, just we don't really get that excited about trips. So that way, if it does get cancelled, it's kind of like we're not that upset because we kind of, like even when I was booking it, I'm like, honestly, I'll be thrilled if this happens because I think we're just all expecting it maybe to not happen. So I'm just going to like one day at a time, see how it all goes. And then fingers crossed, I can actually go on this stunning trip to Europe. I miss, I miss going to Europe. I miss going overseas. So hopefully that, that happens. Anyway, another thing that I did want to just talk to you guys about, this is not Spawn. This is just me sharing what one of my best friends does. If you guys want a diary, my, one of my best friends, Lucy, she, Obviously, a lot of you guys would know her. She's been on the podcast with Nikki, Lucy and Nikki. They have their own happy hour podcast, which is a fucking vibe. Lucy has created a range of diaries, like paper diaries. They are phenomenal. I've used one all year. I'm getting another one next year. She's got like different sizes of diaries and it's called A Basic Girl's Guide. So if you guys check out her Instagram page or jump on the website. She actually does have these really awesome diaries. They've got great quotes on it, really good to organize. You can have a week to a page. You can have like the bigger versions or the the A4 or the A5 versions. They are a great diary. So I personally use both the calendar on my phone and a paper diary because I like writing things down. So that's just a cute little reco um, for something that my friend has done and she's actually killed it with it because – 
They're very fucking good. So go check it out. Basic Girls Guide. Love you, Lucy. Love you. Okay, let's get into the topic of today. Fears that are holding you back. So first, we need to identify that some fears are actually good. And they are those, because like I've mentioned before, that the fear circuitry within the brain is the same circuitry as anxiety as well. So it's often, we might feel these feelings of anxiety or fear when there is something that's coming up and when we're about to perform, it's this kind of adrenaline rush. It's the fight or flight, it's anticipation, or it's the, I need to get the fuck out of this situation. So in those acute moments, fear or anxiety or stress, which kind of is both, um, can serve you. It's what stops you from procrastinating indefinitely. It's what tells you, no, there's a fucking deadline and I have to do this. Or it's the nerves or the butterflies that actually help you perform. Obviously, if you get it way too much, it's paralyzing and then you can't perform. But if you're an athlete or if you're getting on a stage, if you're auditioning or if you're presenting, sometimes those fears, that adrenaline gives you that energy boost, that focus, that intensity that you need to actually perform at your best. So if you feel like, oh, I'm scared of doing this, I'm scared of doing that, ask yourself, if, is this an acute situation where it's a mix between nerves, excitement, a lot going on? Yes, I'm a little bit scared, I'm a bit scared to be judged, but it's also this adrenaline is helping me get like past that finish line. Because in that scenario, it's not really that bad. And you can kind of trick your mind and kind of um, – I say trick your mind in the in the sense of saying that, oh, I'm excited, I'm excited. Like every time I'd, I'd be going into an audition, I'd have these fears, but I'll always be like, I get really excited before an audition. I get really – because the symptoms of excitement are very sim- similar to the symptoms of um, the, that adrenaline of anxiety or stress or fear before, you know, a big event, a moment, a, a, a performance. Fear can also be a good indicator of something. It can – Let you know where you're headed in your life, what you want and what you don't want. Sometimes if you start fearing not having something, that is a good thing. As long as you don't sit in that fear for the rest of your life and not take action and not do anything. So fear can also help you take action. It can help you steer you towards where you want to go by letting you know what you don't want or by letting you know what you're trying to avoid. As long as you can look at what you're experiencing, crack it open, analyze it without getting too emotionally invested or attaching too much of of your sense of self to that fear, then it can actually be quite useful. Fear can be extremely detrimental when you're just kind of, it's sitting in the background, you're kind of avoiding it and you're just fearful, not taking action, not doing certain things or not living not living your life to this to the maximum degree possible because of these fears. It's essential that you can actually look at them and do something about it, okay? So bad fears is going to be something that stops you from doing something or puts you in a place in limbo where the choices are there for you to make, but a decision cannot be made. That's a really, really common one. So in this episode, you're going to say how you can turn those fears around to your advantage or how to dampen down other fears. So if What I did want to go into is why is it that for a lot of people, fears get worse and worse. And when you think about it, you're like, oh God, you know, it starts to become this big thing. It's like the elephant in the room that you're trying to avoid. You almost don't even want to go there kind of thing because if you go there, you know it's going to be bad. This is kind of similar to what I was talking in the episode two two episodes ago when when I was talking about um, memories and constructing memories, false memories, all of that. 
if you, uh, or if every time you think of something, you remember the last time you thought of it, let's say the last time you thought about something you were scared of. Let's say you're scared of um, losing your job, for example. You're scared of losing your job. One day you're thinking about the, the, the hypothetical of losing your job. Maybe you think, oh, I don't think my boss was really happy with me this week. I think this really went bad. Oh, God. And then in that situation, there's the possibility of losing your job, which is everywhere for everyone at all times. There's always a possibility of losing your job. But most of us are like, yep, that's a possibility. Moving on. Okay. But you might be someone that's like, wow, how possible is it? Well, uh, they didn't really like what I did the other day. I think they looked at me funny. I don't think they smiled at this time. They were really short with me last time they spoke. That email, blah, 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 blah. You start layering all this evidence, well, quote unquote evidence that you've got as proof that backs your idea of why you should be scared of something. So you start putting more and more evidence. You're, you're layering it, laying, layering it with all this emotion, with all this intensity. So then you're experiencing that fear with a lot of intensity. Then the next time you go and think about, God, am I going to lose my job? You're Like what I said about the memory, you're remembering the last time you remembered it or the last time you thought about something. And that is how things can go from nothing into something massive because every time you recall this idea, this concept, this fear, you've probably made it more and more intense, okay? You've layered it with emotion and now you're triggering all these fear pathways and it's harder to intercept it with logic. Possible, but harder, okay? And one of the ways that cognitive behavior therapy works in a clinical setting when you've got someone coaching you through it, I mean, you can do it at home, but it's obviously depending on how intense it is or depending if you've got trauma or PTSD, you would want to be doing it for sure in a clinical setting with a clinician. But it's, it, they, it works in a way by getting you to relive these memories or these thoughts, okay, and coaching you through it in a way that they can kind of talk you down off that intensity, like bring you down from that peak of fear or peak of intensity by, you know, there's all these different techniques that they use with you. But a lot of the time, the reason why something can be so fearful is that you get yourself into this aroused state, this heightened state of fear where you're freaking out, you're stressed, you're whatever, and then you don't really find a healthy way to talk yourself out of that before you get to back to your baseline and then you do something else. Often what happens is we, you know, you might have this fear, you're talking yourself into something, it's you're, you're terrified of this thing happening, it's getting worse and worse and worse and then someone calls you or something happens and you get distracted out of it and that's what snaps you out of it. But you didn't talk yourself down, you didn't coach yourself out of that intensity. So now every time you re-enter it, bang, you're right back up there again. You're not at this baseline where you can control control your feelings or control how you feel around it. So that's kind of what cognitive behavior therapy does is it gets you back to that point and they give you tools and techniques to kind of coach you down off that cliff while you're thinking about it instead of having to distract you away from that thought altogether, which can make it worse. It's also really good to convince yourself of something when there's no counter evidence or there's no counter arguments in play. So you can kind of go down this spiral where like thoughts attract like thoughts and you're not being kind of stopped and contradicted by somebody. And that's what occurs in your head. When you have a, d a discussion with somebody, um, and I'm not talking about a crazy argument where, where like everyone's like flying off the handlebars. I'm talking about a very calm discussion or debate with somebody. You're literally bringing different arguments, different points of views, different ways of looking at something to the table. So you're, the way to get to a final conclusion, it might take longer to get there, 
But by the by the time you get to that conclusion, you've factored in all these different ideas and decisions because other people have helped you get to that place. When you spiral into a thought pattern, it's really, really easy to convince yourself of something that's quite dramatic that if you would have voiced it out, someone else would be like, whoa, how did you get to that conclusion? Because in your head, there was no one contradicting you. There was no one kind of saying, hey, have you looked at it this way? Hey, even your own logical thinking might not have had the opportunity to intervene when you're down this spiral of emotion-driven, fear-based thoughts, okay? So it's really easy for you to get yourself in a place where you're so in your head that you can't even enjoy where you are in the present moment, okay? That's where your thoughts can become quite crippling when you aren't able to lay them out and either get someone else to kind of, you know, discuss it with someone else that you trust or discuss it with yourself and you yourself can contradict your own thoughts to be like, is this actually happening? Is this a reality? How likely is this to happen? Or is this thought um, an indicator of something else that's going on and do I need to kind of look at what's going on behind the surface because this fear is just a symptom of something else that's happening. So let's go into all of that. I wanted, what I wanted to do was to kind of, as usual, break this episode up into a few key points. And so what I did is I did a bit of a question box on my Instagram and I got a few people to talk about what, what they mainly feared in their life, okay? There were so many responses, so thank you so much, Beans, for answering that question box. And I've broken them down into some main categories, and I kind of want to break them down and talk about it. So the first one, so common, so fucking common, was fear of being abandoned or alone after a breakup. When you fear being alone or abandoned, why is it that you fear it? You fear you've got to think about what about it am I scared of? You can't just think like, I don't want to be abandoned. I don't want to be alone. Let's break it down. You fear not being loved. You fear not being desired or potentially you fear not being validated. You think, where am I going to get my validation from? And I can guarantee you, if you're somebody that struggles to, to validate themselves, to have internal validation, you're going to fear being abandoned a whole lot more than someone that's got a lot of internal validation, for sure, okay? And that's why the actual alone part isn't really the problem if you don't mind being alone. You might miss your partner, you might be heartbroken if your partner leaves you, but the alone aspect of it isn't the issue, okay? And there's a lot of people that also said, I fear... Um, wanting to leave the relationship, but fear not finding anyone else. So I'm staying in the relationship. So now you're not even missing the partner. It's not really about the partner anymore, is it? Because you know, you're not that happy in the relationship. This is all about you. And it's all about what you're going to lack, what feeling you're not going to get. And when you're in a relationship that you don't really aren't that excited about anymore, you don't really want to be in it, but you're with them because you're, you fear being alone then it means that you are lacking internal validation, internal love. You are lacking that internal support system, okay? You can't provide that for yourself, so you think I'm either with this person or I'm either with another person. For you, the concept of being alone isn't really an option. That is what you are fearing. You are fearing not having that given to you by someone else. I read this very interesting quote, and it's so true, and it's not that we do something wrong or we do something right, but... I read this on Instagram and I wish I could remember who I read it from. But it's this idea that when people break up, 
that's when they post the most selfies and they post the most, you know, like images of themselves and they're way more active on social media. And it's because they're wanting that kind of validation that they got or felt that they had in their relationship. They're now wanting it. So it's nothing bad. This idea of I'm going to put a selfie on, that it makes sense if you think about it, why people would do that. Because you're like, I now am seeking the validation that I had in the relationship. So I'm feeling a lack. I'm feeling a bit of a lull, a loss of something. It's a hollow. So I'm trying to fill that up, which is fine. But really, you should be trying to fill that up for yourself first, okay? And you do that by taking bold action in things. You do that by standing up for yourself. You do that by impressing yourself and thinking, fuck, I'm worth doing that. Fuck, that was cool that I went out on a limb and I did that. Wow, I'm really impressed that I was able to, you know, say no to that situation. You start to gain respect for yourself. And as you gain respect for yourself, you start to feel more validated by you. Additionally to that, I do believe that it is one of our human needs to seek validation in those around us, but you want to be careful with who you're finding that validation in. Ideally, it's your inner circle, the people that you trust, that may may or may not be your family or your friends, okay? So ask yourself this, if I if the only reason I don't want to break up with this person is because I'm scared of being alone, then that says a lot about your relationship with yourself. It says a lot about what you provide for yourself, what kind of lifestyle, I'm talking about a lifestyle in your head, emotionally, do you provide for yourself? It's obviously not that great and something to be feared if you would rather stay with somebody that you don't really even want to be with. So always look at, everyone always wants a better lifestyle, okay? And when I talk about lifestyle, you've got, you know, you've got the the beautiful things in life, you've got possessions, material possessions, you've got money, and then you've also got the lifestyle where you, where you feel better, where you're happier, okay? If somebody in a relationship represents a better lifestyle that you can have on your own, you are going to likely want to stay in that relationship, okay? You might be thinking, I really don't want to stay with this person that much longer. Why am I struggling to leave? Because that person is providing you with a lifestyle that you can't provide alone. So if it's not, if you don't care about material possessions, if you don't care about financial, then they're providing you with an emotional support system, an emotional lifestyle, something emotional that you are scared to provide for yourself. Otherwise, you would not be so fearful to be alone. So start paying attention to those things, saying, what do? What am I worried that I can't provide for myself? And then you start to get a bit of an indication. And then start learning to provide that for yourself. Start, you know, relying on yourself to feel better. Stop using a relationship to pacify your low moods, okay? Now, the second one, which is quite similar, is scared of not finding love. That was a very common one. I think a lot of people are terrified that they're not going to find a partner or that they're not going to find a partner in the right time. And time for everyone, that's very subjective. You know, everyone's got a different version of what the right time is, okay? Now, scared of leaving a relationship was a big one. Scared scared that I'll get bored in a relationship. Scared that this relationship is not going to last. And then another one is fear of breaking off a relationship and then nothing else working. So all of those things kind of are based around a fear of ultimately being without a partner, being alone. The truth of the matter is that that is a real possibility. 
if you don't break up with this person, they could break up with you. Or if you are single, you may never meet somebody. It's probably unlikely, but it's possible. So knowing what you know now, knowing that it is a possibility, you have to work very, very, very hard to get your life to a point where you are happy, to provide the things for yourself where you are happy with those things, whether it is it is financial, where you're not needing to depend on other people for things. I'm all for for depending on your partner when you've got a strong relationship where you lean on each other mutually, for sure. That's what friends do. That's what family does. That's what a partner does. But you don't want to become dependent to an extent where you can't live without this person ever, okay? That's game fucking over if you get yourself in a situation where you are so dependent on someone that you don't even want to be there but you're scared to leave because you can't imagine your life without them because you rely on that person. Ask yourself that question right now. Is my life the way it is because I'm relying on someone to provide these things for me? Are they providing me a relief from being alone? Are they, and that's when I say being alone because I'm scared to be alone, are they providing me with money that I can't get myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Your aim is to be to provide as much for yourself as possible. Okay, you always, no matter how happy you are in a relationship, you always want to be as independent as possible. Okay, and fine if you're married and one person is the breadwinner and one person is the homemaker, fine. But you need to at least be independent when it comes to your thoughts, feelings, happiness. You should derive your happiness from many, many things, especially yourself, not just your relationship. If you rely on your happiness just in your relationship, if, if your relationship is responsible for your happiness, then that is you being dependent on your partner for happiness, which is false. You've created that concept in your head because obviously your partner can't give you happiness. You can only give that to yourself. But if you have that belief where that expectation is placed on the relationship or the partner, then or, or like emotional security, then you're less likely to leave even when things get bad even when things get toxic. When things get toxic, you then think, oh, but the good times are still good. No, they're not. But you are now relying on them because you can't provide it for yourself. Okay, so that's what we're looking at. That's what you're fearing. You've got to understand that being alone, like I said, is something that will happen at some point in your life. Okay, you might have already experienced it and no longer, or you might experience it many times to come or whatever. You might be experiencing it right now. But that is just part of life, okay? And that, and being alone is where I personally think you, you discover so much about yourself, where you grow so much, and also where the opportunities are endless. He, when I was just going through my breakup with the toxic psycho, um, I asked myself, and it was very early days, I was not in a good place at all, like not in a fucking good place, and I asked myself, if right now I could have the life that I want, if I could have the career I want, if I could achieve the things that I want to achieve, have the health that I want, travel to where I want, do all the things that I want to do, would I be so heartbroken? And the answer is no. Well, that was my answer. I realized maybe I there's a lot that I can do for my own happiness. There's a lot that I can do to provide my own happiness, to work towards a lifestyle where I'm going to be truly fulfilled and happy. And here I am, heartbroken over someone that's not even a good person. What the fuck? Which means that I was obviously lacking in many areas in my life at that point. I was relying way too much on this one facet of my life, which was the relationship. Then when that fell apart, I thought my whole life had fallen apart. But that's an illusion. It is an illusion. Your life does not fall apart. The relationship falls apart. 
and sometimes for the better. Another really common one was fear of disappointing my family slash fear of disappointing my parents or letting my parents down. That was very common. I think a lot of people are scared career-wise or decision-wise with what they're doing with their lives. A lot of it does come down to like where, where they're going to live or where they're gonna, what they're going to do for a job. Um, a lot of it comes down to the fear of disappointing their parents and that's why they don't change their careers or that's why they feel so upset when, they're, when things don't go well in their career because maybe they, they wouldn't mind that much if things didn't go exactly how they had planned but because there's this pressure of expectation from other people that they want to please, they feel really, really upset and devastated when things don't go well because I'm letting people down. So this is what I think. This is how I look at it. Your family, your parents do not own you. You are not a possession. Children are not a possession of parents. Parents bring children into the world and it is the parent's responsibility to mentor that child as best as possible, to equip them for adulthood. That is what a parent is supposed to do. A parent does not own a child and therefore does not own what that child chooses to do with their life. It is not the child's responsibility to then feel responsible for their parents' expectations of them. If your parents want to have expectations, go for gold. Good on you. Fantastic. But I don't want anything to do with them. Have fun sitting there with your little expectation, feeling all hurt and attacked while I go and live the life that I'm entitled to live. That's the mentality that you want to have. A parent creates life. But the only life they own is their own life, okay? Let's get that clear. And get that very fucking clear in your head. Stop feeling guilty. Stop feeling that you have ownership over this expectation. Not your responsibility, not your problem. They can have expectations, but it's not your problem. People are so big on attaching so much that's not part of them to their own identity. Parents, a lot of parents, attach their child and what their child chooses to do to their own identity. So they feel if you then go and do something or fail at something or don't do well at something or change your mind halfway through your career and do whatever, they feel that you have directly impacted their life because they have become so attached to your decisions and the way your life is going and where your life is headed. But that is not your fault and it is not something you should have to concern yourself with. And if you're somebody that's always thinking, I've got to live up to my parents' expectations, I can guarantee you every time you do live up to your parents' expectations, you probably feel relief at best. Unless that expectation is also your own expectation, in which case you probably feel fulfilled and all the other things that come along with achieving a goal that you wanted to achieve. But if this is something that you only do because you know your parents will be thrilled, you'll be like, oh, thank God, thank God I did it this time. Thank God I didn't fail in their eyes because if I fail in their eyes, then they're making my life a misery. If I fail in their eyes, then they're trying to make me feel like a failure. Okay? So you're not even feeling that great when you do live up to their expectations. In, in, and in many cases, for some people, you feel like a fraud because you're like, great, I'm living up to their expectations, but I'm not even happy. I had someone write in saying that they're terrified to, um, to not do well at work and to not go far at work and to not be accessible because they're letting their parents down. I wonder if you would even be in that role or that career if it wasn't for these expectations. Maybe you'd be doing something completely different. Who knows? Maybe you don't even know because you've been trying to live up to these expectations for so long. I also had someone else write in and talk about how they – 
work with their mother. And they want to go and branch off and do another thing, but she's scared that she'll ruin her relationship with her mother if she leaves and spreads her wings and does another job, another career. This idea, like, look, there's there's a slim chance that your parents actually want you to go and do it and you've just created this in your head, but maybe you're feeling this way because your parents have created this idea of, like, you must work in the family, you owe your family this, you owe, you owe, you owe. No, you don't. Okay, you can always be there for your family. You can always help and support your family. But when it comes to your life and your career and big decisions, you have to go and take those decisions. You have to go and do it. And the only way that parents that do have that mindset, obviously not all parents, obviously I'm talking about a population of parents here that have that mindset where you owe them and where you have to work with them or you have to work a job that they think is appropriate. The only way they're going to learn is by you going off and living your best life. They're not going to love it at the beginning, but they'll get over it and they'll learn eventually that that's how life is. You don't have to kind of do anything but just live the way you're going to live. And you don't ask, you just do. You let people know. You don't ask, you let people know. Now, the next one is fear of really being yourself and being judged or rejected. One of the comments that I received was someone that says, I'm fearful of being my true femme self as I'm a masculine man. So when it comes to breaking away from people's idea of your image, guys, sadly, there are people out there that feel the need to impose their beliefs on you. They're going to judge you. They're going to try and make you feel small or uncomfortable until you feel so low that you revert back to your old ways or you feel so threatened that you don't you don't dare to break out of this mold of what this, you know, what people's idea of you is. But what's even sadder is that a lot of those people are the ones that are closest to you, okay? This idea of friends who have a very specific group of people who they would hang hang around and if you're different, oh my God, you're so weird, you're this, you're that. Parents that are worried of you coming out and being your true self in whichever way that might be because, and their excuse is, oh, what will people think? If a parent is saying to you, I just, you know, I'm worried about you doing this, I'm worried about you, whatever, coming out as gay or trans or doing this with your life or doing this with your career because I'm just worried about what people will think, then they themselves are obviously someone that judges like crazy or thinks the same things of their their friends' kids, you know? When you feel fearful of being yourself when people have an old idea of who you are and for you to break out of that mold and be like, no, this is actually who I am, What's going on here is that people have given you the idea that who you are and what you do with your life, and if you were to change that, directly impacts them. So let's use the parent as the example as well. If you were to come out as gay, for example, your parent might make you feel that you've directly impacted their life. Do you know what directly impacts people's lives? Their own beliefs and thoughts. A belief system is a choice. We see it all the time. People believing something, even with no proof, believing something that serves them when they have no evidence, okay? Like, fantastic, good on you. If it makes your life better, go for gold and believe what you want to believe in. But if they want to turn around and then use that belief and say, if you live a life that goes against my belief, then I have been directly impacted by that, then that's them imposing their personal beliefs onto you. That's them shoving shit down your throat and you're going to have none of it, none of it. People, people's judgment and why people judge is based on a belief that they have. 
that something is either appropriate or inappropriate, that it is in line with this concept or faith or religion or idea or whatever, rule book, or it's not, okay? And fine to believe that. Like I said, everyone's entitled to feel that they want to feel how they want to feel. But don't impose that shit onto your children, onto your friends, onto your family. If, it's, if it affects you so much, then go live in a fucking cocoon. If your belief system affects you so much that everyone around you is directly offending you, then you need to live in a fucking bubble, okay? My advice to you is if you are worried to come out as your true, the true version of yourself, something that you've maybe been suppressing or hiding or you want to change your career, you want to come out, whatever it is that you want to do is to rip the Band-Aid off. Do not wean people onto the new version of you. You don't need to do that because that's on them. That is their problem. It is not your responsibility to ease people into something that you are doing for yourself. If it doesn't directly impact them, you you are not responsible for how they react to it at all, okay? So you're better off ripping the Band-Aid and saying, hey, just a heads up, this is me. Not, oh, I just really, I just want your approval. Fuck, fuck that shit. Don't go in asking for somebody's approval because you put the power in their hands. In their minds, you put the power in their hands and in your subconscious mind, you've taken the power away from you and you've given it to somebody else. If you're scared that your parents won't accept you for being trans or gay and you say, I'm just wanting your approval, oh my God, forget about it. You say, I'm letting you know the following, dot, dot, dot. You don't, fuck approval, fuck approval. Don't ask for approval when approval is not necessary. Okay, there are certain things where you're going to need approval for. Being who you are is not one of them. So do not expect your family to give you approval because you're asking them to believe or feel a certain way that you have no control over and they might not feel. And then you're tying, I can't feel fully comfortable with who I am until you approve it. No, I'm me, you are you. If you want to believe in what I do or not, not my problem. Next, the fear of making the wrong choice and then regretting it and not being able to go back. Now, I don't want to go too heavily into this one. I just wanted to mention it because a few people have said this. Definitely go listen to my decision. There's one on a podcast on decisions and all of that. But when you make a decision that is irreversible, statistically, you are actually a whole lot more likely to be thrilled with the decision that you made and also find all the other options no way near as exciting as the choice that you made, even if it doesn't even work out that perfectly for you. And the reason for this is when you make a decision irreversible, you go in guns blazing, you go all in. You're like, yep, okay, I'm going to fully commit. I'm going to commit to doing this. All of myself is is here. If I've got one foot in this door and one foot in that door, then I'm not committed to either one. And I'm more likely to think of the cons of both options instead of the pros of the option that I, sh- that I want to be going towards, okay? When you throw yourself wholeheartedly into one thing and you can't go back, you are more likely to be so invested in this new decision, new lifestyle, new choice, that even if it didn't work, you wouldn't want to go back. You would want to go elsewhere. Let's say you moved to Japan, right? You wanted to move to Japan and you wanted to go for a year. But three months in, you're thinking, oh, I don't think I can be here for a year. I don't think I can be away from my from Australia for a year. 
So after three months, you might not be able to go back to your original job or your original home or whatever, but you think, okay, let's make a new decision now. I've now grown. I've had all these experiences. I've learned. Do I really want to go back to my old job, my old home and be where I started? Probably not. Why don't I try either a new city in my home country or go back to my old city and go go for that job that I always wanted to go for or start studying this. Your eyes will be opened when you make a decision that's irreversible. It is the best thing you can do for yourself. I couldn't recommend it higher. If you're in a situation where you're like, oh, if I make this decision and I can't go back, make the decision. Do it. It's a blessing that you can't go back because it throws you into a pool of opportunities. And when I say you can't go back, you can always live in the same city that you wanted to live in, but you might not have the exact same job title, the exact same thing. And when we're talking about relationships of I'm worried that I'll never be able to go back, then then that relationship was was never the right one for you. If you leave a relationship and then you try with someone else and then you're like, oh, I miss my ex and your ex doesn't want to be with you, what does that say? that you weren't supposed to be in that relationship anyway. You've moved on. You've grown apart all the best, okay? Go back and listen to that episode about decision-making and whatever. I can't remember the exact episode, but it is I bang on about why it is actually good to make a decision irreversible. It is in your favor to do so. Now there's one more or maybe two more. This one someone wrote in and said, I'm fearful that moving into moving into state – And what if the kids don't like the new school? What if we regret it? What if we lose money? Well, firstly, I don't know how old your kids are, but it shouldn't really matter anyway. When you move, when you move cities or whatever, that's a decision for the parents. You can't factor in a child's decision into moving as much as you love the child, as much as you respect the child, because this is an adult decision. A child is going to approach this with their views of the world. And a child's views of the world are very different to a parent who is an adult, who has adult responsibilities and understands the world in a very different way to a child. So no matter how much you love your child, don't put the choice of should we move, should we do this on your kids. You're saying, we are moving. How exciting. Blah, 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 blah. And you make it an exciting adventure for everyone. If the children say, I don't want to move, I don't want to and rebel I can guarantee you that's not going to last forever the child will get over it and they'll find other things to entertain themselves they're going to meet new people they're going to you know it'll be fine but if you try and say we'll only move if you want to move and then the child says no I don't want to move you're why because of their friendships when they're 10 years old at school like no children are phenomenal at remolding themselves into new places all the time what children crave is stability If you can provide stability within the parent-child relationship, then that allows for more instability outside of that. So you can then move, you can then do this, you can go on all these adventures because they have the stability within the home dynamic. It only, a move only ever truly, and this is literally what we were doing in neuroscience, a move only ever really affects a teenager or a child is if there is no stability within the the family dynamic. So then they might only have stability at school. They might have an awful time at home. And if you then pull them out of school, then they're going to really suffer. But I'm guessing that this is not the case with the person that wrote in. I'm guessing that everything's peachy at home. You've got a great strong bond with your child. If you then move, no, the kid's going to be fine. They're going to adapt really quickly. And that's just what kids do. If you're scared that you're going to lose money, then you've got to 
look at what what am I going to gain in return for this? Yes, okay, I might lose money. I might not get the exact job that I want. It might not pay as much, but what am I getting in return? Is my lifestyle better? Am I gaining? Do I have more time with my family with this move? Am I gaining more time with maybe you're moving closer to family or to friends or away from people that are toxic? Whatever it is, you've got to always realize that financial gain is not the only reason that you do or don't do something. You've got to think of what else am I gaining and does it outweigh the financial losses? And a lot of the time it is going to outweigh the financial losses. When I was younger, my family moved, I was 10, my family moved from Sydney to Noosa. And financially, if you're just looking at it financially, it was not great for my parents, not a fucking good time, okay? However, when you look at everything else that we gained, ultimately it was a great decision. My sister and I really blossomed. My asthma got a whole lot better when we moved to Noosa. We got a lot more time with my parents because my dad, when he worked in Sydney, the commute was fucked going to work and coming back and it was, we don't see him at nighttime. We had way more time. Our family dynamic was amazing. We had a great fucking time. So financially, they were not better off. But we were so much richer in so many other things that it ended up being a huge payoff. So guys, when you look at things that you're scared of. It all comes down to you fearing losing something. Your aim in life is to fill every single day with you becoming as resourceful as you possibly can, emotionally, with your skills, with your abilities, with with your resilience. You want to be as resourceful as possible. If you're in a situation where you move and you're scared that you're going to regret it, instead of thinking that, just think, I know that no matter what happens, I am resourceful enough to have many other alternatives if this one doesn't work. I don't have to think, fuck, if this doesn't work, not only do I have to return home, but I'm taking 10 steps back because I've missed out on what was happening in the meantime. No, you think I'm extremely resourceful. I'm really good at always working on my skills. I'm really good at always, you know, leveling up in my life, whatever it is that you may be doing. That could be in studying. That could be with networking and meeting people if you're someone that's really social. That could be in always, you know, getting getting accredited in all these things around you or upskilling yourself through practice. It could be through anything. But if you're always looking at being resourceful emotionally and in your career and what you're doing, you're going to be fine. You will always be fine. And I always look at it, what is the absolute worst case scenario? I never dwell on the worst case scenario, but I think, what is the absolute worst case scenario? That I have to crash at my friends because I've blown all my money and, you know, but I know that even if that was the case, if I went overseas, tried to get a new job, somehow blew all my savings, blew everything that I had, could not get a job, I would have to come home and crash on someone's couch, this is worst case scenario, until I got back on my feet. What would it take for me to get back on my feet? It would take me getting a job. Am I capable of getting a job? Yes. Um, am I capable of finding a place to live or finding housemates? Yes. All these things, it's, it's almost good to fail a few times in your life or fail, quote unquote, at a few things in your life. So then you become so aware of how resourceful you are. Ironically, the more things don't work out for you, the more willing you are to take risks because you think it wasn't that bad. I didn't fucking die. Nothing terrible happened. It just was an inconvenience, but it got me stronger. People that never have something not work out for them are probably going to be more fearful because they're living inside this like glass bubble that, that feels so much more fragile and it could crack at any time. You always want to look at these things that you're fearful of as thinking, is it actually the worst thing in the world if this thing didn't work out? What could I gain if it didn't work out? 
you're going to notice that if you change your perspective and you think, wow, if this doesn't work out, there's probably a lot that I can gain. Like even in the depths of your heartbreak, you can say, okay, this person has left me. I'm feeling really fucked right now. This is not a, not a good time. But you can say, what now am I capable? What life am I capable of experiencing now that I'm back on my own, that I'm like flying solo? I could literally move anywhere in the world. I could literally just decide I'm going to go live in this suburb with these people. I could change my social circle altogether. I could do this. I could do that. You might be so um, have your blinkers on and have this idea of this tunnel vision version of your life in a relationship that with that relationship dissolving, much to your dismay, that actually might be the best thing that ever happened to you because it opens up so many doors and opportunities and ideas, okay? Instead of being so fearful, always being in a position of if this doesn't work out so many other possibilities could could for me okay and then when that happens you're way more likely to enjoy the present moment because you think no matter what happens it's going to be a good time ultimately maybe not initially but I'll turn it into a good time because I'm good at doing that I'm capable of doing that for myself so then you're not so fearful of losing the job or losing the relationship you're more present you enjoy it you milk it for what it's worth And ironically, when it comes to a relationship, when you do that, you have more fun in the relationship. You don't have to clutch to it. Okay, guys, I hope that that kind of gave you a bit of food for thought in today's episode. I love you all so much. I love my beans. Please keep sharing the episode, sharing it with your friends, with your family. Hello to all my listeners in Canada. Bonjour, literally bonjour and hello. Um, Guys, I'm so excited. It's literally like we're getting more and more listeners around the world and it's really cool to see it all crop up on the map when I look at it because it's like this software where I look at it. It's got all the countries and you can see exactly how many downloads in like the last seven days or 30 days. And it's so exciting to see all these like new places pop up of listeners. So hello to you all. Very exciting. Um, That is all for today. I love you guys so much. As usual, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke. 